Isaiah 46. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read from verse 1 down through verse 4. And my goal is for us to get all the way through this chapter uh, this evening. I believe we can do it. And so uh, this chapter is rich. Boy, it's good. You ever gotten a dense piece of chocolate cake? You got two bites in and thought, my goodness, I don't know that I can finish the entire thing in one sitting. This chapter is kind of that way with truth. It's just dense. It's, it's rich. It's really, really good. But we're going to try to make it through uh, in one night. Look at verse 1. Uh, Beal uh, boweth down. Uh, Nebo stoppeth. Their idols uh, were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden. They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop. They bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are borne uh, by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, and even to your old age I am he. And even to whore hairs or gray hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. This chapter 1 through 13 deals with a comparison between what the God of heaven offers and what idols offer. And trust me, both the God of heaven has something to offer you and idolatry and idols has something to offer you. And so this is a back and forth comparison from one to the other. What Satan and his idols have to give us versus what God and worshiping Him offers us. And so tonight we're going to look at this title, The Celestial Showdown. The Celestial Showdown. Let's talk about tonight what God has to offer versus what Satan has to offer and how those two things greatly clash. Let's pray. God, thank you tonight for this chance to gather and meet. Lord, uh, guide us. Help us to be uh, uh, very understanding. Oftentimes in the opening prayer, uh, prayers pray that the, the pastor's lips would be ordained and that you would speak through the pastor but Lord, or the speaker. But Lord, if everything I say is divine and, and the ears of the listeners are stopped because of sin or or laziness, or, or grogginess, then, Lord, it, it doesn't matter. So, Lord, may not only my lips be uh, spirit-led, but, Lord, may the hearts and ears be spirit-led. Help guide us into truth tonight, Lord. Help us to leave here with our spiritual tanks replenished, our spiritual batteries recharged, and ready to go forth and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There is an ideological war going on for the hearts and minds of humanity. An ideological war going on. Most folks outside of church have no clue this battle exists. They have no idea. Um, many inside of church are completely unaware that this is going on. Now in a church like this one, and there's many like it around the country, this ideological war is highlighted, exposed, and talked about. But if you're honest in your day-to-day, do you pay attention to it? Do you have an eye for it? Do you look for it? Most don't. Most don't. Even if you know it while you're sitting in a pew, you may not know it when you're riding around and you see a billboard, or you're walking through the mall and you see uh, people interacting, or you're talking to a friend and 
uh, you realize that they've got problems or you're scrolling through social media, even there, that ideological war is being waged, uh, is, is roaring right before your eyes. And uh, oftentimes we are completely oblivious to the fact that this is going on. Now, when I say an ideological war, let me be very clear. What I'm talking about is a conflicting Worldview, conflicting worldviews. You've got a worldview over here, and you've got a worldview over here, and they are at uh, they are at conflict conflict with each other. They are contrasted from each other. So uh, I thought that this was clever. So let me read exactly what I have written down here. Okay, on one side you have the biblical worldview. Okay, with the God of Heaven at its focal point. So just as the world revolves around the sun. All right, uh, if you are a person who holds to a biblical worldview, God is at the focal point of your world. Everything evolves, revolves around God and the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh, those sit at the center of your worldview. Now, watch this. This worldview centers around light, life, and a perfect love that casteth out fear. Okay? Casteth out all fear. So light, life, and a perfect love that casteth out fear. On the other hand, you have a secular worldview with Satan at its focal point. Now watch this. This worldview centers around darkness, death, and fear that casts out true love. So over here you have light and life and a perfect love that casteth out fear. Over here you have darkness and death and fear that casteth out true Love And so these two worldviews, they collide and they leave the Christian to make a choice. You're either going to revolve around Christ and the God of the Bible and light life and, and love that casteth out fear, or you're going to uh, circle around darkness and death and a worldview that has fear that casteth out love. By the way, when COVID came down a couple of years ago, I could tell some Christians were, were, were uh, love that casted out fear, others were fear that casted out love. Now, which where did you land and where would you land now? I'm not saying that that was indicative of the decision you made and what you did with church. That's not at all what I'm saying. But in your heart, what was your motive? Did fear drive your decisions or did love drive your decisions? You see, these two worldviews, they collide and they leave you to make a choice. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles. Mark Isaiah 46. We'll be going through that verse by verse here momentarily. Ephesians chapter 6. We know that there is a war. A war that the Christian is involved in, whether you want to be involved in it or not. Now, some would say that uh, there are those in this battle, that they're on the front lines, and they're well equipped, and they've got the armor of God on, and they get up every day, they read their Bible, they, they uh, uh, check the, the clip of the helmet of salvation. They are girded with a, a belt of truth. They've got the gospel shoes of peace. They've got the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, the breastplate of righteousness. And boy, they're going at it day in and day out every day. They're getting up and putting on that spiritual armor. Others are more like prisoners of war. Satan's got hold of them and they're locked up in some kind of addiction and sin and they go about and and they're not in the battle because they're locked down as a prisoner of war. And, and I'd ask you tonight, are you on the front lines fighting or does Satan have you locked up behind enemy lines and trapped by your sin? Look at Ephesians 6, look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on, 
All right, notice that this is an action that you do. This is a daily choice. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Look here. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, in having done all to stand. So, let me ask this question as we lay the groundwork to get back in Isaiah 46. Where does idolatry fit into this conversation? You have the Christian worldview and you have the secular worldview. Again, at the Christian worldview, its focal point is light, love, and uh, uh, rather uh, light, Let's see here. Light, life, and love that casteth out fear. Over here you have darkness and death and fear that casts out love. Where does idolatry fit into this? And here's what I want to tell you. If Satan is going to get you away from the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, then he must convince you to worship anything or anyone other than God. He's got to get you away from worshiping God. He's got to pull you away from being focal, uh, uh, or rather focused on and pivoting around God. And so if he can get you, break you away from worshiping God and get you to worship something else, all of a sudden your worldview is going to become very convoluted and strange and weird. Now, I have noticed that many churchgoers, I speak this as a pastor who loves my flock. I speak this as a pastor who knows my flock, right? Many churchgoers, they go back and forth between the secular worldview and a biblical worldview, depending on the topic, all right, or maybe even the day of the week. When I'm at church, I believe this. But then when I get in the office and I get influenced by my friends, I believe that, all right? When I'm watching Dr. Phil, I believe this. When I'm listening to Pastor Lejeune, who kind of looks like Dr. Phil, I believe that. All right? My, my, uh, my, 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 my kids' friends at school say I look like Dr. Phil. I don't see it. All right? But that's what I'm told. So, um, but, uh, you know, uh, when, uh, when I'm watching, uh, when I'm listening to my podcast, I, I think this way. But then Pastor Lejeune gets up and speaks on the same topic and opens the Bible. And all of a sudden, my opinion shifts. And what happens is we're being yanked back and forth between two different worldviews. And we're not really sure where we stand and what we believe. And uh, we believe one thing when we see it from the Bible. But then we get around people who yank on our emotional heartstrings. And we go over here and we believe yet something different. And I would just say to you that the Bible has a, a verse that describes this behavior, okay? You have one opinion about social justice issues when the Bible is open and preached, but then another when you get away from God's Word and you let other people get hold of your ear. The Bible describes this behavior. Here's what it says in James chapter 1 and verse number 8. Listen closely. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I want to ask you tonight, are you someone who holds to absolute truth from the Word of God, or are you someone who follows situational ethics? Well, I believe in in purity to marriage altar, the, the wedding altar, but in this situation over here, I'm willing to look the other way. But you know what? When the circumstances dictate this over here, I'm going to behave like this. 
Well, I believe it's wrong to use that kind of language, but you know what? If someone treats me in such a way, and this language straightens them out, then in this situation, it's alright for me to... Listen, either absolute truth is found in the Word of God, and we let that be the dictator of what we believe and how we behave. And by the way, what you believe dictates how you behave. Let me say that again. What you believe dictates how you behave. You show me how you behave, and I can backtrack to you what you actually believe. You can tell me that you believe one thing, but when you go over and behave another way, well, the way you behave tells me how, what you really believe down in your heart. You can tell me you think it's a sin to drink. You can tell me it's a sin to curse. You can tell me it's a sin to behave in such a way. But when you're out doing those things, then you don't really believe that, or you wouldn't do that. Our behavior dictates what we believe. Our belief, rather, dictates how we behave. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, the Israelites in Isaiah 46 had fallen into the trap of worshiping the idols of Babylon. In fact, look at verse 1 of Isaiah 46. Notice there it says, Beel, B-E-L, Beel boweth down, Nebo stoppeth. Who, who were Beel and Nebo. Beal and Nebo were idols of the people of Babylon. These were Chaldees, Chaldean idols, idols of the Chaldeans. And the Israelites, well before they were taken into captivity, were already bowing down to the gods of a whole other country who would end up taking them captive. It was as though God said, you're going to worship the gods of the Chaldeans, then you can go serve the Chaldean people, all right? So, notice here that God in heaven, Jehovah God, Adonai, is their God, all right? But they're not worshiping God alone. They're going back and forth between worshiping God on Sun- on Saturday, which would have been their Sabbath, but then over here on the side, boy, they've got they've got their uh, they've got their gods, Beal and Nebo, that they want to worship on the side. And so they're halting between two opinions. They're being pulled back and forth. They're double-minded. And the prophet tells them in Isaiah 46, he says, one day these idols will be the reason God sends you into captivity in Babylon. So we're going to look at four comparisons between worshiping Satan and his false gods versus the true God of heaven. So this is a celestial showdown. On the back of your prayer bulletin, you'll see the word verses in between uh, the points there. So we're going to look at, in contrast, what worshiping idols offers versus what worshiping God offers. All right, number one, notice the burden of idolatry versus the blessings of God. The burden of idolatry versus the blessings of God. So let's first look at the burdens of idolatry as they're laid out in verses 1 and 2. Look back at verse 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 46. Beal boweth down, Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden, or you might say heavy laden. They are a burden to the weary beasts. Look here. They stoop. They bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. So those who worship idols, look what happens to them. They end up being enslaved to a terrible taskmaster. You see that there? They're worshiping these idols, but what happens? These idols are are are, are placed over, maybe tied up by ropes and placed over a beast, and uh, they're led into 
captivity. Notice it says in verse 1 that they, they were heavy loaded or heavy laden. Look at verse 2. It says there, it, it says they stooped. They stooped. And they could not deliver the burden. They could not deliver the burden. What happens when we bow down to false idols? We end up entrapped and carrying a heavy burden. So, as I think about this in a practical sense of how we live today, I look at people who have battled drug addiction. They have bowed down to the idol of feeling good. And they're willing to take drugs into their body in order to help them to feel good. All right? And um, I, I, I have dealt with many people who've battled drugs over the years. The state's answer, the government's answer to drug addiction is to put people on methadone. Many of us here know people who are on methadone. There's methadone clinics all over the country. And people go and they get this synthetic heroin and they put it in their body. And it's supposed to block the receptors and all these things that go on. And I, I get why the state does it. I understand all the logic of it. But I had someone who is methadone user, he looked at me and said, I hate this stuff. I want to walk away from it for good. But I can't because it's so addictive. And if I were to try to come off of it, the withdrawal process is miserable. No matter how far you wean yourself down, he used this term. He said, methadone is liquid handcuffs. Liquid handcuffs. And that really is what it is. I had one social worker tell an addict I was working with, you will be on methadone the rest of your life and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. You know what happens somewhere in the life of that person, and I'm not here to throw stones as to the why, but they bowed down to the idol of drug addiction and now they're heavy laden. They're stooped low. I remember years ago when I was working in a different ministry in Maryland, we got a call, or rather we got a staff meeting interrupted by the secretary. She said, I can't get hold of my dad. I think he's in trouble. So me and the pastor hopped in a pastor's car and rode five minutes down the road to Joe Nicky's house. Joe was passed out in his living room with a back bottle of Jack Daniels by his side. and Joe was a heavy, heavy, heavy drinker. Joe had passed out and his heart rate had slowed. He was almost dead when we arrived, walked in. We called for an ambulance and they took him out. I went with uh, the ambulance, followed the ambulance in my car, or actually went back to the church, got my car, rode around the corner to the hospital. I remember sitting in Joe Nicky's hospital room and watching him as he was tied down to the bed watching him as he was going through withdrawals. It was as though demons were leaving his body. Joe had allowed idolatry, the idol of alcoholism, to enslave him. He stooped low. Joe would later die of alcohol poisoning in his home. I would go on a Wednesday evening after church and stand in his front yard as they carried the... the um, coroner carried his body out and put him in a vehicle, staying there with his family as they wept and cried. What happens when we bow down to idols? They lay a burden on us. What about preachers and Christians 
who bow down to the altar of worshiping themselves. I see so many people. Satan's not going to get you with drugs. He's not going to get you with alcohol. He's not going to get you with some of these other things, but he'll get you to worship yourself. He'll get you to worship yourself. You put yourself up on a pedestal. You make a much bigger deal out of yourself than you ought to. You know what all Satan's trying to do? is He's trying to get you to quit being centered around Christ and get you to be centered around anything other than Christ. That's how he takes you off of a Christian worldview. Christian worldview means your world revolves around God, Christ. Now over here, we're not revolved around Christ, we're revolved around sports or drugs or even myself. What ends up happening is we pick up burdens that are laid on our own shoulders that we cannot lay down very easily. What is it that idols offer? They offer a burden. God here is very clear through His prophet Isaiah that he, when you worship idols, you get a burden, but when you worship the God of heaven, you get a blessing. Look at verse 3 and 4. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, and even to your old age, I am He. And even the whore hairs, and will I carry you? I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry, and will deliver you. So, notice here, and again, we're just going to quickly hit this and move on to the next thought, but in verse 3, God talks about uh, how He cares for His creation. And in verse 4, He talks about His constant compassion from the womb where you're Formed all the way to the point where your hairs turn gray and you're an old, uh, a withered man or a woman. All through that process, the compassion and care that uh, God loves on you and helps you and He doesn't lay burdens on you. No, He lifts the burdens from you and He blesses you through your life. But then verse 4 also talks about how that when you get yourself in trouble because of serving false gods, He offers you deliverance from captivity. So idolatry makes us heavy laden while God rather invites us uh, to, uh, as Psalms 55.22 says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain thee. So you see, uh, idols lay burdens on us, but when we serve God, we lay our burdens on the Lord. You see the difference there? When we're bowing down to ourself and we're bowing down to false gods of some sort in some way, uh, we're getting burdens laid on us. But when we worship God, we get to lay our burdens on the Lord so He can sustain us. And Christ in the New Testament invites us to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven. 28. And so you see here, when we worship God, we get blessings. But when we worship any form of idolatry, we get laden with burdens. Number two, we see here again what idols offer us versus what God offers us. We see number two, the price of idolatry versus a priceless God. The price of idolatry versus a priceless God. Look with me at verse number uh, six. So verse, we'll start with the verse 6 and then work back to verse 5. Verse 6 deals with the price of idolatry. Isaiah 46, verse 6 says, They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, 
they worship. See there? Now, does it, let me just ask this question before I, I get into this thought about idolatry, the price of idolatry. Does it cost something to serve God? Does it cost something to serve God? You're going to go out, show up on Saturday and be involved in our Great Commission Saturdays. Does that cost you something? Yep, cost you your time. Cost you maybe cost you some time away from your family. All right, cost you your energy. May cost you a little bit of money. All right, might we don't ask you to give your money, but there are scenarios where you may end up spending a little money on something. All right, does it cost you something to go to church faithfully? Yep, some of you are exhausted right now. You had a long day at work and you poured in here to church, and you're tired, and you could be home getting physical rest, but you showed up to sacrifice physical rest for spiritual rest. And does it, So does it cost something to serve God? Absolutely. But does it cost more to serve sin and idolatry? Oh, yes, it does. Oh, it costs much more to serve the devil. In Isaiah's day, people spent great money to have the top tier-looking idol. Top-tier-looking idol. They took their gold and their silver in verse 6, and they gave that to a goldsmith, and they had some fancy idol shaped, and they'd walk around with their golden idol. Look at how fancy my idol is. My little God, my little G-God is. Now, Things haven't changed much. Instead of spending big money on an image or an idol, people spend money on their own image. Do they not? Look at my car, man. Got it all tripped out. All right? How about, um, how about the perfume or cologne they wear? All right? Smelling real good. Driving a nice car. Rolling in with... Uh, with uh, big, uh, gaudy, audacious uh, jewelry, maybe clothes that are very expensive, some sort of purse that's got a designer uh, uh, brand on it, some kind of shoes that look like they're uh, uh, super expensive. Maybe it's not their car or their clothes or their, uh, uh, their, their, their smell. Maybe it's their home. Maybe it's the way they keep their front yard. Uh, maybe it's their reputation they want to keep intact, even though really deep down inside they're very sinful. You know what people, you know what Satan has convinced you to do? Listen up now. He's convinced you that instead of revolving around God, you revolve around yourself. Instead of spending money on an image of gold that we're going to bow down to, we spend money on our own image so others think that we're made of gold. This is the price of idolatry. And that's not even getting into other idols. Let's set aside the idea that you're worshiping yourself for a minute and let's talk about some other common idols that people worship in our uh, day and age. How about uh, the price of other gods like sports? All the billions of dollars that Americans spend on sports. Billions of dollars. And people forego serving God because they're revolved around sports. It's amazing. Sometimes the NFL will have a game in Europe that will come on TV at 9 a.m. 
And then they've got a game that comes on at 12.30. And then they've got another game that comes on at 4.30. And then they've got another game that comes on at 8.20. And then they've got another game that comes on Monday at 8.20. And there are people who will get up on Sunday morning, by the way, after having watched college football all day Saturday, and they'll watch the whole slate of games. Their world revolves around that. It's amazing you go into a store and you want to buy a hoodie or you want to buy a, a hat, snow hat. You get one without any marking on, it's $10. Well, you add a little team logo on that, all of a sudden it's $50. Why? People are revolved around giving their gold and silver to idols. By the way, there's nothing wrong with driving a nice car or smelling nice or keeping your yard looking good or any of those things. The problem is, do you revolve around God or do you revolve around these things? How about... The price of serving the God of drugs. By the way, food can be a drug. Can it not? The Bible talks about those who serve their bellies more than they serve God. For some reason in the Baptist circle, gluttony seems to get overlooked in the preaching. But gluttony is a real problem. It's a real problem. I don't know that we have any uh, heroin... Uh, users in the room tonight. But I wonder how, much, how many of us have a problem with our fork and spoon. How about the God of sex? Did you know that um, the pornography industry in America makes more money than the MLB, NBA, and NFL combined? We've got a real problem in our country. Before you ladies go judging men... Latest statistics show that women are just as addicted to pornography as men are. It's a problem in our country. It's a big problem in our country. What happens is these things have a price. We want to pop a pill to fix our problems. I saw now that they've come out with these injections that will help you with weight loss. So you know what they're trying to say? Eat whatever you want and take this injection. Right? Sleep with whoever you want to sleep with and take this medicine. The price of idolatry. Verse 5, though, deals with, in contrast, a priceless God. Look at verse 5. To whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that ye may be like? It is not hard to give your life to a God who sacrificed the life of His only begotten Son, in order to save your soul. What would you rather have? Alright? This is to the ladies. Would you rather have, and men, this is for you to ask yourself, what would you rather give to your wife? An uh, imitation string of pearls or the real thing? What would you rather have? Alright? What would you rather have, ladies? A cubic zirconium ring or a real diamond? Alright? I don't think, I think we all know the answer to that question. The uh, fake pearls and cubic zirconium are the things that eight year old children play with. Boy, a string of, of priceless pearls or a high dollar diamond ring are the things that people spend big money to have. In fact, there are some things that are so valuable they're priceless. What God wants to give you is Himself. He wants you to worship Him 
And He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. But do you know why most Christians don't have a great walk with God? Because they're distracted with bowing down to idols. You say, oh, I don't bow down to idols. How much time do you read your Bible each day? How, now, how much time do you look at Facebook each day? You see, we do bow down to idols. Our social media is king in our life, not the Word of God. We spend more time talking on the phone with family and friends than we do in prayer, talking to the Lord. Uh, we, we bury our sorrows in a meal instead of burying our sorrows to the, the throne of God in heaven where He wants to embolden us and empower us to overcome our hardships and He wants to comfort our soul. We, we swipe the credit card in order to get out of a problem instead of turning to the God of heaven and asking Him to come down and take care of it for us. You see, sin and idolatry is a price. But God is priceless, and what He has to offer you is priceless. Number three, we see the inability of idols versus the involvement of God. The inability of idols versus the involvement of God. Let's look at verse 7 and see what the Bible says about the inability of idols. Look at Isaiah 46, verse 7. They bear Him upon the shoulder. Speaking of those who worship idols that pay money to a goldsmith to have it made they bear him upon the shoulder they carry him and set him in his place and he standeth for his place shall he not remove yea one shall cry unto him yet can he not answer nor save him out of his trouble now i love the visual someone goes down to the goldsmith they take their money that they've worked hard to earn. They turn their gold and silver over. They have a, an idol fashioned and shaped by the goldsmith. They go back and they pick it up and they put it up here on their shoulder and they walk out and wherever they want to worship that thing, they walk over and they set it down. And the Bible says once it's set there, it's not going anywhere. And then they get down on their knees and they bow down to it and they ask it to do things for them. But it can't do anything for them. You and I look at that and say, well, obviously. I mean, they had it made and they're going to bow down and pray to it. That doesn't make any sense. Does it really make sense the way that we devote our time and energy and attention to things that can't do anything for us and help us either? How incapable are idols? Now, I, um, growing up in uh, Christian youth groups and Christian schools, I've seen kids who were raised to believe one thing, but yet they behave in another way. And they'll be told, don't listen to rock music. Don't, uh, don't, don't watch the hip-hop crowd. Don't uh, go over and be enamored with uh, movie stars who live their lives in uh, ways that are full of fornication and sin. But yet, you know, Christian teenagers are rebellious, many of them, and they ooh, ah, over these things. And one question I love to ask a teenager is, if you get sick and end up in the hospital, is that rock star or that movie star going to come visit you? No. Uh-uh. You're putting a person up on an idol who's self-centered. You think that person's really going to come down off their own self-centeredness and minister to you? But do you know who's going to be by your bedside if you're sick? Your pastor's going to be there. Your youth pastor's going to be there. Your parents are going to be there. The people who you are rebelling from are the ones who are going to be there for you. 
Idols can't do anything and won't do anything to help you. However, we see the involvement of God in verse 10 and 11. Look here. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, uh, calling a ravenous bird from the east. This is speaking of Cyrus, who we saw in 40, uh, 45. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it. I will also do it. Now, uh, look at, let's kind of take these apart a little bit. Look back at verse 10. Look back at verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning. You know what that says? God, He's not sitting, you know, as an inanimate object on a shelf waiting for you to pick Him up and move Him. God knows everything. Look at there, declaring the beginning from the end. He knows, or the end from the beginning. He knows it all. He knows what happened in your yesterdays. He knows what's going on in your today. And He knows what's going on in your tomorrows. In fact, He's already in your tomorrows. Why would you worship an inanimate object that can and will do nothing, can and won't do, can't and won't do anything for you? Rather, instead of worshiping the God who already lives in your tomorrows and loves you far more than you could ever understand. Look back at verse number ten. It says, "My counsel shall stand." No one has ever ever given counsel to the Lord. He doesn't have a board of advisors. There's no uh, there's no uh, cabinet in heaven telling God, instructing God what to do. He is ever wise. He knows everything, and his counsels that he gives they stand firm. I've given some advice over the years that has fallen flat and been bad advice because I'm a human and I'm flawed, and that happens sometimes. But God has never once given advice that's fallen flat. Look at verse eleven. Verse 11, or rather the end of verse 10. He says, I will do all my pleasure. You know what that means? Whatever God wants to do, He does, because He's all-powerful. So He's all-knowing, He's ever-wise, and He's all-powerful. But you want to worship sports. But you want to worship drugs. But you want to hang on to a sexual addiction that's running you in the ground. You want to worship yourself who's flawed and one day going to die and be buried in the ground. Instead of worshiping the God of heaven who made you and loves you and cares for you and lives in your tomorrow and is ever wise and ever loving and all knowing and all powerful. And God says uh, idols are unable of accomplishing anything that matters except ruining your life, leaving you with heavy debt, and leaving you hurt and broken. But I love you, and I value you, and I'm priceless, and I'm here for you. I just want you to worship me, the involvement of our God. Lastly, notice the haughtiness idolatry requires Versus the humility that God requires. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me once you get that scribbled down. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me. Notice that in order to worship false gods, it is a requirement that you be haughty and proud. Verse 12. Hearken unto me, look here, ye stout-hearted. If you mark in your Bibles, feel free to underline that word or circle that word. Ye stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. I will, I, I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. So, in order to worship false gods, you have to be filled 
with pride. You have to be filled with yourself. You have to be filled with rebellion. You are stout-hearted. You are far from righteousness, the prophet says. In fact, I've never met a person who isn't wrapped up in idolatry who isn't filled with pride. I've met people who are parts of other religions and I've sat them down and taken them through the Scriptures and I've showed them where idolatry is a sin. And you know what? They can see it with their eyes. They will not turn from it. And you know why they won't turn from it? Because they are proud. They are proud. Now, some of you here tonight, maybe I've said some things that have stepped on your toes. You can humble down under the Word of God and you can say, I'm going to do it God's way. Or you can, you can rise up and say, nope, uh-uh, I'm doing it my way. It's a celestial showdown. Whose worldview are you going to inherit? Are you going to continue to revolve around yourself or sin? Or are you going to revolve around the God of heaven? Again, light, life, and love that casteth out fear, or darkness and death and fear that casteth out love. Which worldview will you choose? Which worldview will you revolve around? Verse 8 and 9, rather, deal with the humility that God requires. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Remember this and show yourselves, men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Look there. Twice he says, remember. Remember. You know what he's saying? He's saying, get some proper perspective. Get some proper perspective. I think sometimes we can be so focused on ourselves, we forget how weak and unable we are in comparison to God. If I were to take a, a Sharpie, <laughs> I would never do this, but if I were to take a Sharpie and draw a line across that back wall and put arrows on both ends, okay? And that Sharpie line represented eternity. That Sharpie line represents the existence of God. And then I were to go up and take that Sharpie and I were to make the tiniest of dot right on that line. You know what that dot would represent? And disproportionately represent? My life. Okay? But I'm going to take credit for all the good that's happening at White Oak Baptist Church because I'm the pastor. God could take His finger and whoop right out into space. And you know what? He would still be God and He would still be good. Why am I going to put myself up on a pedestal? I'm nothing and neither are you. Listen, too many Christians, and oh, I hope you hear what I'm about to say. Too many Christians live their life where they expect to be at the center and they want God to revolve around them. How I feel, what I want, where, where I go, what I do, my schedule, my life, my feelings, my happiness, my enjoyment. God is going to work around me and make me happy. No, 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 no. He is at the center of our world and we were made to revolve around Him. And when you live your life revolving around God, understanding you were made for His pleasure, boy, then you will find fulfillment. But that requires you to humble your heart and live for the Lord. So what will it be tonight? Where's your worldview? You going to be influenced by some worldly secular thinking or are you going to let the word of God lead you and guide you into all truth as you revolve around his light, his his life and his love that casteth out fear. 
I hope tonight the Bible study has been an encouragement to you and giving you some things to think on. Let's not be driven by fear. Let's not be driven by darkness and a culture of death. Let's be driven by God's love. Let's stand together. Celestial showdown. Let's do it God's way. His ways are perfect. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Help us to take the things we've heard and help us to consider them. Lord, help us to leave here determined not to worship any ideological idols. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. And you paid the ultimate price by sending your Son to Calvary to pay for our sins and save our souls. And Lord, help us through salvation to love you and live for you. May we be in the world, but Lord, may we not dare be of the world. Bless us tonight. Send us home with your love. Bring us back here safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.